0: Welcome to YPN's Breakfast Podcast. Please enjoy while Phil Byers shares expert advice on navigating a changing market. Are we ready to learn about the ins and outs of navigating a shifting market today? Yeah. All right. Then let's get started. Please welcome our guest speaker, Phil Byers of Keller Williams Chicago, Lincoln Park. <laughs> His team believes streamlined and focused marketing above and beyond customer service and local neighborhood expertise are what clients need in a professional realtor. Phil's outstanding reputation for customer service, attention to detail, and knowing the market have helped him become a top 1% realtor in Chicago. Welcome, Phil. We're glad to have you. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. I want to start out not talking about the shifting market for just a second and I, I want to start with a story of um, me coming into this business 16 years ago um, the people in this room I'm sure are all very centered uh, calm people you've probably never experienced any ego in the market right my first year in the business um, I was determined to be successful and I was very fortunate that I was I sold 11.9 million in volume my first year in 2005 and I wasn't even really sure how or why I mean I had a plan and I focused on that plan and I did it but like a lot of people at the end of that first year I was invincible the year was 2005 yeah. <laughs> Right. The, literally the next year spring of 2006 our market here in Chicago peaked on the north side in my market I'm calling my market and I'll talk today when I talk about stats at all or if I talk at all about trends I'm always watching the north side market so that's where I'll be coming from but I'll also talk a little bit about how you can watch your own market if the north side isn't your market. Anyway, so I made a lot of money my first year in the business, and I was very, very proud of myself, right? I was invincible. I was younger than I am now, and I was really, really cocky, and I was really, really smart, and I really, really knew everything. And this next part I'm not very proud of. There was a period of time when I thought there's no need to have an association. Why do we need this car thing? Um, why do we need young, the Young Professional Network? Why do we need YPN? And in fact, when I took over a, uh, a management job in 2010, I attended a YPN board meeting because somebody said, well, hey, if you're going to be in leadership, you should get involved. And I said, okay, and I went to this YPN board meeting. And in that meeting were people like Tommy Choi, Josh Weinberg, Lauren Mitrick, if she's in the room. I believe Matt Larcy may have been in the room and a smattering of other people. Anyway, I sat in this meeting, and I didn't get it. We talked a lot about doing this event coming up and we were gonna get all these agents together and we were gonna have this big event and get all these agents together and it was gonna be a big event and we were gonna get sponsors and get all these agents together. And I remember going, cool, why? And I remember Lauren Mitrick specifically saying, well, you know, to to get membership in YPN. And I went, okay, that's great, but, but why? And then she's like, you know, membership. And then I remember being like, that's stupid. And then I left. (laughs) We're getting to a point in a second. Trust me, don't worry. (laughs) Years later, I meet Tommy Choi, which uh, I thought for the first time. And Tommy Choi said to me, he was like, oh, no, no, we've met before. You came to some random YPN board meeting a long time ago. And I met you that one time, and then we never saw you again. (laughs) Right? And I was like, in my head, I'm like, yeah, because who needs it? Right? And then I heard Tommy Choi speak. And Tommy Choi told the story of he and Josh starting their brokerage, Weinberg Choi Realty, right? And if you've heard Tommy speak, I'm sure a lot of you have, the story goes, they sat in a Panera because the Wi-Fi was good, right? And that's where they started Weinberg Choi. And then Tommy called and Josh called the top, I think 50 or 25 producers in the sales award magazine, which also we just got last week. And I heard Tommy say something uh, during this presentation that completely uh, threw me for a loop. He said, we needed community. We needed colleagues because we were on a little island by ourselves. We were Weinberg Choi. And in this moment of hearing him talk about the importance of community and colleagues and connection and idea sharing, I did this thing where I put my face in my hands and was like, I'm the biggest idiot in the world. And he taught me that. And I said, I thank you, Tommy, for teaching me the importance of this, this room, this gathering. If I'm terrible for the next 20 minutes, All the conversations that are happening at these tables are why we're here today. And this community of realtors and the things we learn from each other and with each other is so important. So one more round of applause for the YPN board and for our associates. Very, very important. And it really is an honor for me to be here because I am really, really stupid. And I am wrong very, very often. And that's kind of a theme as we start to talk about the shifting market that I think is really important. And I wrote this down, in my life, As I've gotten a little bit older and I'm in my mid 40s now, one of the goals that I have is to be as wrong as often as possible. Because all these things that I think that I know, I just don't know, right? And as we enter into a shifting market, I think that theme is something that's really important for us to think about, right? We think we know what's going on. We think it's gonna stay the same. When we got to 2006, who was here in 2006 selling real estate and and experiences? Okay, so we'll say 15% of the room. Right? It was a big shock. It literally went from what we're experiencing now, where you know, listing will go on the market, even if you have to take a price reduction and do a little bit of, of you know, zhuzhing with things. Right? Zhuzhing is a placeholder there. If you have to do a little zhuzhing on your listings, they'll eventually sell, but when you got to the middle of 2006, nothing sold, right? So is there any anxiety in the room? Just a quick show of hands, who's a little anxious about this upcoming shift? Is there anybody in the room that doesn't believe that a shift is coming by any chance? Okay, okay, a couple people. How dare you, we'll talk after this. Okay, I got numbers to prove it. Who went to the economic uh, outlook in earlier this year? Great event, a a terrific event. And one of the things that I loved seeing was they talked about the amount of inventory. Has anyone heard this? Story that we've been telling ourselves for the past five years, which is there's no inventory. Have we heard that before? There's no inventory, there's no inventory. That is not true anymore. Starting in October of last year in Chicago, inventory has begun rising and it has been rising every month since then. Starting in April of 2018, in my market on the north side, which I watch very, very closely, we've seen the number of transactions, the number of handshakes happen, go down month after month after month. And so there's this thing happening where we're going to enter into a shifting market, and people go, well, Phil, you seem to know some stuff. You'll learn very quickly I don't. But I'll share with you what I do know and how I fake it with my clients, and we'll talk a little bit about that, okay? Um, so just if anybody wants to make a couple comments, I'd just like to hear if there's anybody in the room, anybody that hangs, has anxiety, what keeps you up at night? Is there a few things that you go, what, you know, what am I going to do? Yes, sir. less pie right that's great yeah more people less pie one of the opportunities that you have in a shifting market and we want our car association to grow we want membership to grow there was a natural ebb of that though right if you look at the number of available sides when you got to 2008 2009 in Chicago and this is something that you can put yourself back to sleep with there were more sides per agent when the market shifted right membership had fallen and we don't like that I know that but the opportunity that we had was, the number of deals were still there, enough where the, the number of agents had fallen more so, that there was more, more pie for those people to eat, which is great. There's actually less pie per agent today than there was during the last really big shift that we had. So that's a great one. Another comment. Anybody have any, anything that they're nervous about as we enter a shifting market? Yes? I have to make an announcement quickly. Oh. If anybody has a Toyota Highlander, a blue one, with the license plate R480929, it's parked out back. That's a Toyota Highlander, everybody. Yeah, you're blocking in one of the guests. He's got it. Beautiful. Thank you very much. Thank you. (laughs) Back to it. Any other anxiety or anything that anyone's worried about in the shifting market coming up? Off the top of their head, Tommy Choi. And they won't want to move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's uh In fact, we've seen uh, over the past ten or fifteen years, it used to be that the the average number of years in the United States that people stayed in their home was six and a half, seven years, and that's starting to go up. And I think to your point, Tommy, that'll be exacerbated by really low interest rates, baked in appreciation that they don't want to release, right? Especially if it falls a little bit, right? That's a good one too. Anything else that comes to mind? Yes, sir. He's from Cobalt Banker, everybody. <laughs> when do you think the shift started? Uh, when do I think the shift started? Um, I'll answer this question in a very nebulous way to begin with. You know how like, there's definite boundary lines between neighborhoods in Chicago? There's not. right? It's a matter of opinion a little bit. I don't know that there is a moment specifically when it started. I, I look at it personally on in my market on the north side and when I started seeing in April of last year, we talk about this in our office a lot, when we started seeing the number of closings drop consistently, so April of 2018 had fewer closings and fewer contracts written than April of 2017, and May was less, and June was less, and July was less, and August was less. There's this thing that we talk about and this is a presentation I'll give you. This is something you can use with your clients too. The real estate market works very much like a roller coaster. Okay, so if you think about a roller coaster, let's say there's 10 cars, the head car is contracts, right? That moment when you shake hands with somebody and say, or your client shakes hands with somebody and says, okay, we're under contract now. We've agreed to a price. We've agreed to terms. That's the beginning. If it starts to fall, it's kind of like the roller coaster coming over the top of the hill, right? Contracts fall. After contracts start to fall, the next cascade that happens is closings. Closings start to fall. So you start to see fewer closings per month. And by the way, you can see this this year right now. And again, I'll keep saying this. I apologize. On the north side, where I work uh, and where I watch, you started seeing closings drop this year. So January, fewer closings than January of last year. February, fewer closings than last year. March, fewer closings than last year. And I brought a bunch of scribbly stuff, and I'll actually give you... I just looked at this the other day, the number of contracts written this year so far through April 15th compared to last year through April 15th is down 6%, contracts written. Closings are down 8% and we have already begun seeing that translate into the back car, which is prices. So contracts first, then closings begin falling and then prices will eventually fall. We're actually right now in our market in a a tough zone where we're gonna do a lot of arm wrestling for the next year because sellers are gonna remember the stuff that they want to remember, which is, every, this is easy. I put my place on the market, somebody walks in the door, I punch them in the face, I take all their money, I give them my house, right? I mean, that's kind of sometimes what it feels like, especially in a spring market. But buyers are gonna to start to see, well, wait a second, this thing's been sitting on the market a little while, right? We need to do price reduction. Why has this been sitting out there for three weeks? I had a client ask me a couple weeks ago, why has it been on the market 11 days? It seems like something's wrong. <laughs> Thank you for laughing at that or reacting to that, because it's absurd, right? The average market time is 27 days. So it's Hunter, right? You gave a great presentation earlier. Um, Hunter, uh, I, I, I believe it began in the spring of last year we started to see it. I feel like it started halfway through 2017. Okay. That's at least what I've been telling people. OK. I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think what's important, and if, if you take anything away from this today, um, Make it specific not anecdotal. We do this thing as Realtors where we say, I don't know I'm really busy. So the market must be awesome. You can be really busy and the market can be changing Right, and so that's that's the thing and and I love that perspective and you you may be right If I went back and explored the numbers a little bit more if we looked at it in different markets It may have started to see the very beginnings of that in late 2017, but that wouldn't surprise me Don't quote me. I won't quote you. No problem. (laughs) It's hunter everybody Okay Um, So anyway, I'll just tell you a story uh, about my own business in 2006 uh, or 2007, 2008, I experienced that thing that 15% of the room also experienced, which is why is this getting so hard? Why all of a sudden, literally six months later, right, when you got into the beginning of 2006, it became difficult to sell things. I looked at my business at the end of 2008 being very, very frustrated, and you might experience this coming up. And you might not, hopefully you don't. But I looked at it and I said, and this is, this is maybe a piece of advice. If you're writing anything down, it might be worth writing down. I looked at my business at the end of 2008. On the listing side of my business, I had listed 26 properties that year, and I had sold seven of them, which is crazy, right? Especially by today's standards, right? I mean, did anybody have a property at the end of last year that didn't sell? that they waited till the spring. Okay, it's not very uncommon, right? I mean, I had a couple dogs that we waited till the spring and we brought them back on and then we sold them, right? That's not that uncommon. But when two dozen of those are happening, I had to get real with myself. And this is a, a piece of advice that hopefully I'll leave you with. You have to look within and say, well, what skill do I not have or what am I missing the boat on? And what I realized was, and I wrote this down, I really, really sucked at pricing. And as agents, we do this thing where we believe that we're perfect, and we believe that we got it, and we look at three comps and we go, I don't know, it should work like this. It should work, it'll be fine, right? Take new pictures, clean your windows. But that wasn't working, right? So what I realized was I was just wrong about price all the time, and that's when I developed, among my colleagues that know me, this reputation for being like Mr. Market Guy, because I got really, really real about what does the market do, how does it work, how do I watch it, how do I see the future? How do I see the future? You can see the future in this market by looking at the number of contracts written. One of the questions, um, the YPN board, they gave me a a list of five or six questions and I'll try to touch on all these. Um, But one of them was, uh, what resources do you use to watch the market? Does anybody have that question? Well, how do I watch the market? And here's the answer. We have this really cool thing called the MLS. Yeah. <laughs> and it tells us everything we need to know. I'm often asked, like, well, what about InfoSparks or what about um, FastStats? And those are great tools for rolling up. But you can literally, in the MLS, go, I wanna see all the number of closings that happened in five neighborhoods on the north side between the 1st of January and the 31st of March. i want to look at Q1 of 2019. And I wanna compare it, the number of closings, to Q1 of 2018. And you don't need a tool for that. You already have that tool, right? And by doing that, you can see the future. Like I say, I pulled, I pulled that stat: 6% down. This is through April 15th, but 6% down in contracts written, 8% down in the number of closings. That's in the condo market on the north side. So now, and how does this translate? Because one of the other questions was, um, how do we reinforce our value as realtors to our clients, and how do we prepare our sellers for this stuff? I think the thing that we do as agents, I mean, not people in this room, but other people who didn't come that are terrible, they are answering the question in, in very, very vague ways. Right? How's the market? What are we taught to say? It's great, right? But I think a more powerful answer could be it's changing right now, right? A couple years ago, I started saying, well, we're due for a shift. And last year started saying, I expect prices to fall two to 4% this year. And I think answering the question, well, how do we get our sellers on board with us and how do we add value, we do a better job answering those questions instead of doing the things that we're taught, the sales, the answers. The the market's great, it's always great, it's always the best time to sell. Today's the best time to sell, it's always the best time to sell. Call me for, you know, right? What they really want is knowledge and expertise. As this business changes and technology gets between us and our clients in a good way and at times in frustrating ways, I think our opportunity is expertise. The one thing that can't be taken away is our ability as realtors to know our market and translate the truths of the market to our sellers so that they can make really, really informed decisions. Does that make sense? Did you have a question? Yeah. Yeah. Um, It seems like one of the most challenging ways I see with agents within my office (coughs) is having them taking the, basically, the home out of people's home selling of their home. It's a commodity, and your expertise it seems like what you're saying is you have to be talking about the numbers, talking about selling a home the same way as you're talking about corn futures. I couldn't agree more. It's not about, I mean it's important to you that your kid grew up there, but it's not important to the buyer. It's, that's where your expertise would separate you from some other dude. I think it's a very powerful comment. Um, I learned this during the downturn from some very smart people that in a shifting market, homes become commodities. That's exactly, you're exactly right, it's corn futures. Right? And that also, by the way, that clarity will help our clients make better decisions. Right? If we're able to say, I expect prices to be 2 to 4% negative this year, as an answer to the question, when do you think I should sell, right? well, we need to do it in the next couple of years, it doesn't really matter to us. A good answer, instead of being like, well, gee whiz, how do you feel about it, could be, I expect prices to fall this year while interest rates remain really attractive. If you're going to make a big move in the next couple of years, I'd suggest doing it sooner than later because this thing's gonna fall in value potentially, even a little bit, two to four percent could be a big number for a lot of people. But if we get to the other side and you buy with a two to four percent negative, especially if you're buying up, um, and you can lock in these low interest rates, which we've had for 50, 60 years, it seems like at this point, then you might be able to really help your clients with stuff. So I think that's a great great question, a great comment. Melanie Stone. Um, is this good for a buyer? Is it good for buyers right now? Um, I think the answer's not simple as yes or no. Of course, it's specific, but I had, I'll, I always love telling the story during the downturn in 2008. As I started to really get to know the market, a buyer sat across from me in a buyer consultation and asked me a bunch of questions about the market. And I said, well, you know, we're falling 1% per month and we expect this to continue next year and probably the year after that. And, you know, it's, you know, market's falling, it's gonna continue falling, there's a lot of opportunity out there for buyers, but it's gonna keep falling. And I remember this buyer looked me in the eye, sitting across from me, and this is the answer to your question. And she said, her and her husband, and she said, well, it sounds like what you're saying is, it's not a good time to buy. And then she said to me directly, would you buy right now? And I said, well, in my situation, no, I wouldn't be moving up. If I was on the sidelines, I'd probably wait a little while longer. And then she went, okay, thanks. And then was like, okay, we'll get started next weekend and then they did it anyway, right? So a lot of times once you're sitting with them, I think what happens in that relationship is the trust that gets built through giving them that information and then letting them make their own decision. I don't think there ever is a good or bad time to sell. It's gonna sort of fit in with their lives and what their goals are short and long term. I have a client getting ready to buy a thing that's um, very expensive for them and the conversation we've had is how long are you gonna be there? Right? I mean, 2006 to 2012 was six years. It felt like an eternity, right? The people in the room right, who can remember how terrible it felt and how long it seemed, but it was six years. And by the way, it flipped again in the blink of an eye. So my answer to her was, well, I expect this to be worth less next year. I mean, I was almost, I mean, I, I don't want to say I was talking around out of buying it, but I was sort of like, well, here's all the answers. And she was like, OK, cool. I'm going to flip it over to conventional. We're going to get this thing done. And I was like, OK right so being separated I think one of the pieces of advice I'd give too is trying to separate from us making the decision for them or answering those questions simply giving them the information and then saying well what do you want I mean I found myself trying to talk a client out of buying an 800,000 thousand dollar condo yesterday and she would not be talked out of it so I did my due diligence right my fiduciary responsibility and that's one of the things that I wrote down is is getting real and being truthful with your clients the truth is so powerful for them And then one of the questions that I got asked to to touch on today is how do we show our value as brokers? And the answer I think is truth and knowledge and expertise because that client of mine yesterday is still buying that $800,000 condo and that client once upon a time who asked me directly would you buy now and I said no was like cool, let's get started next weekend and they did it anyway, right? So the conscience is clean, my fiduciary responsibility is there and then I just help guide them through that. But that truth, that power of knowing something about the market, being able to answer those questions, I think is really great and makes a big difference. Somebody asked me a couple of weeks ago, well, what if the numbers don't show what I want them to show? And I was like, that's the worst question I've ever heard. Right? There is no right or wrong in truth. It's just understanding the market, watching that first car or the roller coaster. And if you do that, you can see the future. Somebody taught me this, too, during the downturn, and I love this. This is the uh, Unlike the stock market, insider trading is encouraged in this business, right? If we know something, if we have relationships, if we know of people selling, if we know of people who want to buy, we have this great opportunity and powerful opportunity to share that knowledge and expertise with people, and that's ultimately what they want from us as realtors. We all know that we can open doors and unlock lockboxes when we start to talk to them about what their future might look like, or what their money might look like, or keeping good investments in front of them, I think it changes our conversation and, and makes it more powerful. It increases our referrals and all that good stuff. Does that make sense? Yes. I don't know if that's helpful. Um, I wrote down three things, because you know, you do that. Rule all threes, right? What three things can, I was trying to think of like how I would do this if I was uh, you know, doing a simple video. What three things can you do to prepare for a shifting market? And these are what I wrote down. Number one is focus on fundamentals. The dribbling and passing of this business will get you almost all the way there. My first year in the business selling 12 million, or almost 12 million, was basically me just calling people that I knew, offering them my services, and then staying in touch with everybody, and then going, I don't know, why is this so easy? I don't get it. It doesn't have to be cold calls, it just has to be relationships. So that fundamentals of whenever you are in relationship with somebody, staying in relationship with them. People that know me have heard me say the stat seven or 10 million times. NAR does this beautiful study every year. It's called The Profile of Home Buyers and Sellers. Uh, and in the Profile of Home Buyers and Sellers, NAR, that's the Na- National Association of Realtors, everybody. NAR, the National so- okay. NAR does this research report every year, and they seek that what they're trying to figure out is how does the public interact with us? What do they value from us? How do they decide to use us specifically? What things matter to them? One of the questions that I look at every year, and it really hasn't changed much, is this. When asked. How likely are you to use your real estate agent again or refer them to somebody else? 74% of the people who are asked that question, thousands of people are asked for this research report. 74%, just let that sink in for a second. 74% of the people respond that they will definitely use their agent again or refer them to somebody else. Now, not people in this room, but I know 74% of the people in this business and that surprises me, right? Because <laughs> we're a bunch of nut jobs, right? But definitely is the answer. Definitely, 74% of the time, people will use us again. If you add the probably, it definitely is actually the word. I looked it up because I didn't believe it. I was like, definitely doesn't sound right. And definitely is the word in the report. Probably is the second category, and it gets you up to 88%. So 88% of people who work with one of us have said when asked that they will use the same person again. 12% of the time, that's true. Only 12% of the time do people use their agent for a second time to sell their home. And why is that? And it's because we're not focusing as an industry often enough on fundamentals. We have to stay in touch with our clients. If you've ever seen me do a presentation on 33 Touch, it's a model and it's a system for just keeping in touch with people consistently so that they will call you whenever they think about real estate. That's the first thing that we have to do. This is not about the market, it's about being a professional. That we just stay in front of everybody and it's a quick check-in once a quarter with some mailers. And it's really not much more fancy than that. So that's the first thing I wrote down. Um, within the fundamentals to developing a routine um, There's these things that I really can't stand and there's people in this room that say them and so forgive me I love everybody, but I can't stand Seeing videos of people doing push-ups at 5 o'clock in the morning and rise and grind and yo, bro Just keep pushing. Come on, man bro, bro, you know, I, I People it, you know, they, they sort of motivate themselves differently that doesn't work on me um, what works on me is get up, take a shower, brush your teeth, eat breakfast at the same time, get to work. Some people need to do the push-up. So again, really, no judgment, bro. It's fine. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't judge, but that doesn't work on me. And by the way, sometimes when I say this, I, I look at people in the room and I see their faces and I see them say to me unconsciously or, or uh, without words that it doesn't work on them either, right? That that's not how they think. That's not what motivates them. What I find motivation from, and this is something that I think can work for everybody, is get into routine right get up every day eat breakfast at the same time every day get to work at the same time do the same things for a period of time and then once you get to 11 o'clock go be a crazy person like we all are right I don't have to prospect today so after this I'm gonna go be a crazy person for the rest of the day all right so that routine is really important. so number one is focus on fundamentals um, and within that develop your own routine is really important questions on that make sense The second thing I wrote down was pay attention. And this is the part about the market. And we talked about the roller coaster, right? That first um, car of the roller coaster is watch the the number of contracts being written. We have this great field in the MLS called contract date. And you can go and see how many contracts were written on single family homes in Oak Park in January. And you can compare it to last year. And you can start to see the future. You can compare it to the previous month. And again, you can start to see the future. People ask me a lot to do this stuff. They'll go, Phil, can you come and talk about the market? You know all the stuff. And I always go, no, I don't. I know like four things. One of them is I watch the number of contracts written and the number of closings. That's all you really have to do. So how do we prepare for a shifting market? Start to pay attention, too. Pay attention to the market, learn about the market. And you won't learn about it in a newspaper. Oh, that's right. This is what I can Does anybody know what a newspaper is? Have you guys ever heard of newspapers before? right? You won't, I mean, you won't see it on a website and really get good reporting. Case Shiller comes out on the last Tuesday of every month, if you're familiar with Case Shiller, and it's the most widely reported look at the U.S. housing market, and it lags 90 days. For years, I've said that's the tool that we're using to tell us what's going on in the market. I can look at the number of closings that occurred yesterday in my market using the MLS. That's what I think we should be doing. We have to, as agents, to, to bring that expertise, to have that deeper relationship, to add value to our relationship as brokers, we have to make a point to watch the market and be able to answer the questions a little bit better. Does that make sense? Yep. So pay attention to the market. Questions on that? Yes, sir. So we've seen this change in the numbers over time. What do you think are the factors contributing to that change that I wrote down, this is such a great question, I'm gonna repeat it so that the room can hear it. So the question was, we've seen the numbers begin to change, why have they begun changing? This is also the question that every client will ask you. Has anybody ever listened to Marketplace on NPR? David Broncacio. once upon a time, right? I always love this, when there's a down day, they play that sad music, and when it's a happy day, they play we're in the money music. And when they're playing the sad music, David Broncacio used to say this all the time, and I loved it, it was so BS, he would go. Investors took profits today as the market fell half a percent in the Dow. Took profits, what does that mean? Does anybody know what, I mean, I know what it means, right, but that's a very like, that was his answer as to why investors took profits today. Why is an impossible question to answer. However, this is the kind of answer I give. Do we have a pension issue in Illinois and in Chicago? Yes, that seems to be a factor. We also have had seven years of uptick in our market, and there's a natural ebb and flow right at some point we're gonna to have to have some kind of adjustment we have record unemployment right now I mean everybody it feels like it's virtually as everybody is employed or at least that's the story that's told right I mean we have really really good unemployment and at some point these things are gonna teeter because the natural course of markets they'll have to um, I think in Chicago it's my answer is but I'm not necessarily right I think there's a fear about Illinois and Chicago a little bit that will make it I was talking to Tommy about this ahead of time it'll make it a little frustrating and a little bit tough for us in the in the the short term and probably okay in the long term one of the really doomsday things i love to say is we do happen to sit next to a giant body of fresh water right chicago is always going to be attractive from that perspective and our price per square foot is still fractional compared to what it is in dc boston Um, i mean denver's getting up there seattle san diego san francisco obviously new york Chicago sits here in the middle of the country next to a body of fresh water with the most beautiful summer and frankly, the greatest city in the world. Um, and it seems like we're a little bit of a kept secret as major markets go, but I don't know the answer to why. And I think that's the answer you give your clients to. I mean, one thing that I think about is taxes. I know I've spoken with some nonprofits and different presentations that I've and They say one of the issues they're concerned about is people can go from Know on the 11 or 1200 payment, and if the taxes go up a little bit more than the required, pool, more than their escrow, that 13, $1, 14, 1500 payment would not be affordable, or even higher than that, depending on what market you're in. Yeah. Um, so, the interest rates are low. The in Chicago, we have good real estate here, um, so the overall market, maybe nationwide, might not reflect what we're seeing here. But do we have an Illinois specific problem that needs to be addressed to make this market sustainable? I think I, sales I think so, I think so a little bit, and we're going to have a national market that will start changing. It has to, it has to, at some point. We had a big stock market run up, then it cooled last year. Now we're kind of sort of up again, and at some point we're going to have a couple bad days, or a couple bad months, or a couple bad years in the market. It will happen, and when it does, that'll affect real estate a little bit as well. So. Yes? Uh, Have you had buyers or sellers talk about like the tax reform and like like the implications of that? Like they're not seeing as much of a benefit with like, tax deductibility mm-hmm. as they did before to buy it. Oh, the, the, okay, so the question was, uh, because of the new tax law, you can only deduct up to $10,000. I've Have had clients talk to me about it, but I haven't had a lot of people that were really severely affected by it, per se, but it's a thing that they say. <laughs> I didn't really buy the Chicago, Illinois thing as a reason for a long time until six clients of mine moved out of state last year and noted it as the reason why, and that threw me for a loop, because I love this city, and you're going to have to drag me out of here. <laughs> I'm not joking. So I don't get it when people move. But when, I, you know, when they started saying it and we're leaving because of taxes and the Illinois pension and the Chicago pension problems and all that stuff, yeah, it, I've heard it. So my answer a little bit is I think that's affecting it. Also, the national market will change at some point. But we were talking ahead of time, Corey and I were talking ahead of time, about how do we prepare for a bad market? And this is something worth writing down. And I heard this from somebody else, very, very smart. I did not make this up. But it threw me for a loop during the downturn. It goes like this, there is no such thing as a bad market. There's no such thing as a good market. There is only a buyer's market or a seller's market. And if you think of it that way, that changes your perspective a little bit, right? In 2009, if you had capital, you were in really, really good shape. Does anybody regret not buying property during the downturn? I mean, come on, right? So as I get ready to go into this again, I I know to my clients who I know have capital, Um, who their friends are and I think like as we start to see things fall and it's not so traditional if I can find people with capital there's gonna be amazing investment opportunities right it won't be a bad market it'll be a very opportunity market for those people does that make sense and I had to have that shift in my own head I was like oh man this stinks it's hard now and then I heard that and I was like wait a second yeah it's good for somebody always right my dad was here this my parents were here this past weekend I'm from Detroit Maybe from Detroit. What's up? Yeah, there we go. I'm from Detroit. I mean, I've lived here 25 years. I'm going to die here, but I'm from Detroit originally. Anyway, my dad used to yell at him during the downturn because I was like, Dad, why are you not buying pieces of Detroit for 50 cents? He's like, "Philip, no one's going to live in Detroit in the future. He is wrong. He's being wrong every single day. People are making a fortune in Detroit, right? What an opportunity. He had capital, too, and didn't do it but my dad's old school, he's not gonna buy during a down market, right? This is also our job. As we enter these down markets or or, or a shifting market, even if it trails off two to 4%, nothing too dramatic, our job is not to talk to our clients about how difficult the market is, but to talk to them about the opportunity that they have. And they do. And so I think that's a a really important point as you go into this, as we go into this together, um, that there is opportunity for everybody if you look for it and find it even with interest rates. The third thing, and then I'll take any other questions and we can kind of keep it more in discussion. We do have to add value. We have to up our game. We have to know the market, um, and we have to be able to give that knowledge, and we have to be able to teach our clients about how the market works. We have to tell them that we can see the future. We have to tell them that prices are gonna be down two to four percent this year. That's my opinion, by the way. And when you say that, you get their attention, and that is adding value. That truth is where the value comes from. That market knowledge is where it comes from. Nobody needs us to open a door. Anybody can open a door. What they need us is, is to answer their really hard questions. Does it make sense for me to move my family right now or not? This year, next year, school year, I have a special needs kid. I have a special needs parent. Whatever it might be, help me make really good decisions. And that's the thing. That's the third part, right? So it's the, the three things were um, focus on fundamentals, right? So have your routine. Focus on fundamentals. Stay in touch with your clients. Pay attention to the market. Get to know the market. And again, you're only watching contracts and closings. It's really simple and you can do it in the MLS and you can do it in about five minutes. It's so easy. Um, And then add value. Use that knowledge that you have now and give it to your clients. Teach them about how the market works. Teach them about what you think is gonna happen in the future and answer their questions for them directly. And that's where the value will come from. That's how we get ready for a shifting market. That's what people expect of us. And when we give it to them, that's when they go, I have somebody else I want you to talk to and I have an investor group that I'd like to have you come speak with, or I have uh, a parent that has a home to sell, or somebody with a portfolio of properties that needs to move on from these. They wanna release their capital. That truth and knowledge goes a long way, and that's where the value is, uh, uh, as agent relationship comes from. Other questions that anybody has? Yes, sir. Um, in a market like this, what do you see happening when you, know, you say a downturn, when like, you know, the red fins and those become more popular a lot for I mean, it's, I, everything is about value, right? I mean, we are in such a diverse, as realtors, um, there's such a diverse offering of value propositions, right? Um, Redfin is our brethren, right? They're a, a broker in this room. Zillow, I think, is now in the business of being brokers, and I don't, I, I think traditional brokerage is gonna to have to adjust to that and it also is an opportunity for us to display our value. Right, Redfin has tervi- terrific value. Zillow has terrific value. The Laracy Group has terrific value. Buyer's Home Team has terrific value. Nico Apostle has terrific value, right? But that's the, the answer to that is we have to find, it's, it's not gonna be opening doors and making videos. It's gonna be truly giving our clients what they need answering their questions, um, helping them understand the market and helping them make good decisions. I I can tell you that I had a client during the downturn and this will maybe speak to that a little bit. The client was $125,000 underwater, okay? It was a condo too, this is cuckoo pants. I mean, it was Gold Coast, $125,000. And they had the $125,000 to buy themselves out of this unit. So I sat with these people and I was like, look you guys, it's 2010. If you give it a few more years, put a renter in here if you don't want to lose all that money, that's one of your options. But they didn't care. They really, really wanted out, and they really, really wanted to burn that $125,000. And through the conversation I had with them, I figured out what they needed, and they needed me to help them do that. That's, that's what they needed. There's other times when people go, you know, I need the price to be this, and it can't be, and that person needs me to help them understand how much they're going to hurt themselves by watching the market dwindle while they sit on the market overpriced by 5%. And sometimes people go I just need to pay less to my broker and that's all I care about and that's okay too I think everybody has the same job in this room every broker every brokerage every model that you use to sell real estate has the same job show your value that's what you have to do show your value there is a low cost value option and people are gonna go with that and there's a higher cost full-service option and people are gonna go with that you just better know your value and I think, and I believe this with every fiber of my being, that our expertise, our knowledge of the market, our ability to share our experience and help people understand their options is our power. That is our value. And if somebody isn't doing that, that's how you beat them. Just show them that. Other questions? Is that helpful? I don't know if this is helpful. Yeah, I'm just making it up as I go. Okay. Oh, hallelujah. Uh, Can I throw a couple of weird stats and we'll take a couple more questions and then we'll be out of here. Um, So this is a little cheat sheet. I was making up, or I was was writing down, not making up. I just made this up. I I was writing down what are the questions that clients ask me and what questions do I think we do a really bad job of answering, right? So has anybody ever been asked this question before? When should I sell? I know we're gonna sell in the spring. When should I sell? This is how I answer that question. This is pretty rudimentary, but here's the answer. Well, if you own a condo, More contracts are written in the month of March, in my market on the north side, more contracts are written in the month of March than any other month of the year. March is the number one deal-making month. So February 25th, come on the market, right? That's an answer. By the way, April is second, May is third. I actually had all the months written down, but I threw it away. In single-family homes, it's the same. March, April, and then June. Those are your three best months more deals are made in those months in contracts written than any other months of the year now somebody right now is sitting in the room going yeah phil but what about inventory how many things come on the market i don't even know you guys here's what i do know more deals are made during march than any other month of the year do you get it and when you tell that answer to a client they go oh this is also really powerful in december when they go okay well we'll be ready in spring so what like late may early june and you can go no End of February, end of February. By the way, February, go back 10 years, February used to be the number one month. And it shifted, and you know what it shifted? Polar Vortex, the first one. Remember that polar vortex like seven years ago? Right, that was the first time it shifted from February to March, and this is crazy, it never shifted back. So Chicago has ruined itself, and we started in March now. Okay, so that's that, so when's the best month to sell? When's the worst months to sell? in order of worst going up, December, slowest month for contracts, November is 2nd, October is 3rd. Hey, here's a really cool thing that I thought about this morning as I was getting ready for this. Um, how do we deal with a shifting market? We're in Chicago. Our market shifts every single year with seasonality, right? Right, September is half of what March is. Does anybody do this thing that I do where I apply myself by going, no, no, September will be a little bit better. It's not. It's literally half of March. After you get past June, every single month of the year, fewer and fewer things sell. Uh, you can see that in the numbers, and you don't need me to tell you that. You can go in your own MLS and look at it. Um, I already talked about there's no such thing as a good market or a bad market, only a buyer's market and a seller's market. Inventory is not the story anymore. The economic uh, outlook that we did with Car uh, back in January <laughs> was amazing, and I just loved Seeing those, that data show that inventory start to rise, it is rising now. We do not have as much of an inventory problem as we used to. We gotta stop telling that story, it's different now. Uh, I wrote down, why is it happening? The answer to that question is complicated, but worth having a discussion with your clients. And then, I believe prices will drop this year. When somebody says, well, what do you think's gonna happen? This is a hard thing to say to people if you're not used to it, but you say, well, I expect the value of your home to fall two to four percent this year. And then as a salesperson, this is the part that I love, if you stop with a period at the end of that, and then just wait to see what they say, you're gonna learn a whole bunch about what your relationship's gonna be like and how well you're gonna be able to help them and what their needs are. I believe the value of your place is gonna go down two to four percent this year. They'll say something, (laughs) right? So. any other questions or anything else that uh, anybody wants to discuss? I know I got the five-minute look. Anybody? Questions, anything else about the market? I'll end on a quote. Um, it's a quote by Steve Martin. Everyone know who Steve Martin is? Yes. I know, right? Yeah, round of applause for Steve Martin. Yeah, <laughs> jeez, a legend. Um, I was asked this question beforehand, um, what quote inspires you? And I was sort of thinking about things that kind of get me up in the morning. And there's this great uh, quote by Steve uh, uh, Steve Martin where he said, don't be intimidated if you start with nothing. Don't be intimidated if you start with nothing because the workaround can lead you to something original. Right? You'll find a way. So as we enter the shifting market, find something original.